Death Strikes Hercules. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we are here this week to talk about Hercules in New York, a.k.a. Hercules Goes Bananas. A.k.a. Hercules Goes to the Dump. (laughs) Now, Tony, what is this movie about? This movie is about Hercules, who gets bored on Mount Olympus and decides to go to New York despite the protestations of his father, Zeus. Protestations. That was a very good pronunciation of that word. <laughs> well, sorry. What I meant was protestations. <laughs> uh, for those of you who may not have seen the movie yet, there is a dubbed and an undubbed version. Correct, uh, yeah. We had the pleasure of listening to an undubbed 1969 Schwarzenegger mispronounce every word in the script. There may also be alternate cuts of this movie because it's listed on IMDb as 75 minutes. The version we watched was 90 minutes. That's unfortunate. <laughs> For us, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, this movie, uh, it's from 1969. This was Arnold's first movie. Uh, I'm curious, Tony, had you seen this before? Yes, I had. I'd seen it a number of years ago. I'd actually seen the dubbed version. And I didn't remember a lot about it, actually. It was strangely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Yeah, I'd seen it. Did you have good memories of it? You know, I didn't remember it unfavorably. I remembered it was interesting to see Arnold Schwarzenegger in an early role. I probably saw actually the 75-minute one. Right. Um, but Is that why you remembered it very fondly? <laughs> I didn't say very fondly. <laughs> I just remembered it. Is that why you had the poster up on your wall? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the poster up on my wall. I'd, in fact, I didn't remember anything specific about the movie. I remembered oranges on the sidewalk, but that might have been The Godfather. <laughs> Is that why you went on a uh, Hercules in New York tour when you were in New York? That's right. Actually, the uh, I went to the Premier Studios <laughs> uh, ride, Hercules Goes Bananas. It was uh, spectacular. <laughs> you went and saw the Baron Warehouse where they filmed the big fight scene? Yeah, the Baron Warehouse. I went to see the, um, the uh, roadside public park where they... A stage at Mount Olympus. You saw Professor Camden's chess set at the Smithsonian? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, for those of you who are just joining us on the podcast, yeah. if you haven't watched Hercules in New York, um, I mean, I can't... You're very lucky. <laughs> yeah, I can't in good conscience recommend that you go do it, but if you're going to join us on this voyage of review, then um, by all means, go out. I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Uh, it, it might even be on YouTube. I don't might know. Be, you know. There might be hundreds of these buried in the desert somewhere <laughs> you could probably buy a copy on ebay for about 50 cents yeah, yeah. minus shipping of course yeah and it, it, you'd be overpaying <laughs> although it's funny um back in 2006 the rights to this movie were sold on ebay for like uh five hundred and fifty thousand dollars you know i remember actually remember that auction yeah i don't remember if anyone actually won that auction <laughs> It might have been a bit steep. I mean, Premier Pictures must have been going out of business at that point. Yeah, I mean, someone obviously has to own the rights to this film. But Do they? I don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Now, I had never seen this movie before. This is one of the few Arnold Schwarzenegger movies I had never seen. You know, it's like this and the villain I hadn't seen, um, Pumping Iron I hadn't seen. 
There's not that many more that were on my checklist of Arnie movies to see. This one's so important, too, being his first movie. I'm glad that I waited this long to be able to see the version where he isn't dubbed. I think I would have felt like this isn't a true Arnold film if I was hearing someone else do the voice. Mm -hmm. This, whatever you want to say about it, was a true Arnold film. It was. There, there was a number of points in the film where we looked at each other because... Uh, or even asked, you know, pause that, please. And yeah. what did he say there? Right. And neither one of us could <laughs> answer that, even after repeated viewings. Sanja <laughs> Yeah. I don't guess about... It's amazing. I actually had never heard Arnold Schwarzenegger, for whatever reason, his accent involves needlessly pluralizing things. <laughs> right. Um, apparently, he had a dialogue coach for two weeks before they started shooting this movie. And it was not enough. And in his autobiography, Arnold says, like, he really has regrets that, you know, he didn't have more training with a dialogue coach because he could not pull this off. I have to wonder, like, was he being coached on delivering everything in a monotone, expressionless voice? <laughs> Pluralize everything? Yeah. Um, we talked in our episode on the villain about how the horse was a better actor than Arnold. Um, there's four horses in this movie, and they are all better actors than Arnold here. Yeah, he wasn't great. <laughs> no. But, you know what, to be fair, no one really was. This <laughs> this movie has some of the worst acting in a film I've seen in a long time. Right. Um, this has an amazing opening, where we are told through narration... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. When myth and history merged into... <laughs> mystery! <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure that's not where that word comes from. <laughs> but there is some really weird language in this movie because we open the movie on Mount Olympus where Zeus is hanging out with a bunch of female deities like um, Juno and uh, Venus and some others that we don't know the names of. I'm pretty sure it's deities there, Arnold. <laughs> And um, you can hear traffic noises in the background. <laughs> yeah. Mount Olympus, which clearly takes place on some university public park or or something like that. And, you know, they threw some tokas on some also-ran actors. And you hear trucks honking in the background. Uh, yeah, there's one point where Zeus gives a big dramatic, like, wondering what has happened to Hercules. And then a bus just hits the horn. Yeah. <laughs> No son of Zeus shall be hung, huh? <laughs> I don't know who was doing sound on this film, but, or if anyone was, maybe they just set up, maybe they were probably just using the mic that came with the camera. <laughs> yeah, there, I don't think there was any ADR done on this movie whatsoever. No, I don't think so. <laughs> maybe ADD. <laughs> but let's get into the movie, because... This is a comedy, and we talked last time about the movie Twins, which had not held up as well. Um, but I'm feeling a lot kinder towards the humor of Twins at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. After, <laughs> after watching Hercules in New York, because 
Oh boy, this is a fish out of water comedy. You can even see like the ingredients for this movie in something like the movie Thor from 2011 with Chris Hemsworth. Like that's the version of it done well or done at least good. Do you think uh, Thor had to pay any royalties to Premier Pictures? What five hundred fifty thousand yeah, dollars to maybe, buy the rights? Maybe, maybe they're the ones who bought the this movie. Well, you know, Marvel does own the character of Hercules. There is the you know the Marvel Comics character. So maybe if Hercules ever makes the uh, leap to the big screen, we'll see it based on this movie <laughs> i certainly hope not but um you know this fish out of water idea of hercules coming to new york i don't think it's a terrible idea especially in 1969 where i mean i know that was a popular thing back in the day to send these like i don't know kind of adventurous characters into new york like there's um in the uh, johnny weissmuller tarzan movies which there's like 12 of I did a run through all of those movies like a year ago. Some of them are really good, but there is, of course, Tarzan Goes to New York. And it's like, yep, you gotta have the movie where this character is like a fish out of water in New York. Because, you know, it's fast-paced. It's the big city, man. Well, not a lot has changed there. I mean, uh, Crocodile Dundee did it. Yep. Thor did it. Well, yep. well uh, no, he went to I, New Mexico. Well, fish out of... whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it's a big thing for characters to go to New York. Um, I'm curious. Well, he went to New York eventually. Yeah, sure, sure. Now, Tony, (laughs) yeah, I guess he did in the Avengers. But um, what did you think of the scenario here? Because Arnold thought this was a good scenario for a movie, but did it pay off? Absolutely not. (laughs) Unqualifiedly, no. Right. It did not pay off. Uh, Because, I mean, the fish out of water basically in this film consists of uh, people questioning Hercules' strength. Right. Hercules speaking in a thick Austrian accent about uh, how dare somebody question Hercules' strength. Right. And then him engaging in some feat of strength, usually uh, finding an excuse to take his shirt off. I think he takes his shirt off about six or seven times. He does it a lot. Yeah. Like, you could tell that that was Arnold's big thing at that point, was weightlifting. Like, they want the audience to remember this over and over again. Do they do this in movies anymore? Like, when they bring a crossover-type star, say, like, The Rock or something who's in wrestling, they don't have him making constant um, wrestling references through his movies. But with Arnold, it's like, we've got to have a weightlifting moment every ten minutes. Or, like, a flexing his muscles moment. Um, Or just a test of strength. Yeah, yeah. It's like they want to constantly hammer you over the head, and I'm not talking about Thor there, (laughs) with references to his weightlifting. It reminded me, actually, of... The movie that I think is kind of a masterpiece, <laughs> the movie Double Team with uh, Van Damme and Dennis Rodman. I mean, that movie is an absolute blast of insanity. I would not call that movie a masterpiece. <laughs> when I think of masterpieces, I don't think of Double Team next to the Mona Lisa. It's like Lawrence of Arabia, Wizard of Oz, Double Team. <laughs> yeah. But in Do- the movie Double Team, Dennis Rodman makes constant basketball references. And that's what this reminded me of. It's like, they cannot have you forget for a second that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a weightlifter. Well, they could have fooled you. They could have had him be a wrestler. He did wrestle in the film. Well, did he? (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, there was no actual wrestling on screen, now that you mention it. He was a wrestler who um, participated in at least two or three bouts because he became a wrestling champion. Yeah, like the mob was wanting to like infiltrate and then his, his matches. That's right. I never really thought about it, to be honest. I was kind of probably tuned out of the movie a little <laughs> bit. But yeah, he uh, rose through the ranks of wrestling, uh, but we never really saw him do so. 
And then in the championship match, he was just lifting weights. <laughs> Which is a very strange wrestling league. On live TV, no less. Yes. Yeah. Like, And actually, it's interesting because the actor who's the... Uh, the TV, uh, I don't know, personality who's overseeing this contest is uh, Richard Hurd, who I'm sure the name doesn't jump out, but he's um, he was on Seinfeld as George's boss when he worked for the Yankees. Um, he's also on Star Trek Voyager as Tom Paris's dad. He's one of those character actors you see pop up again and again, so it's kind of fun to see him here in a younger form with hair. Uh, but he's really the only actor of note in this, other than Arnold, that I think has some sort of name value. How about Arnold Stang? Let's get into Arnold Stang because we'll we'll get back to Arnold Schwarzenegger's performance in a bit. But Arnold Stang is the the, uh, the other Arnold. <laughs> Arnold Stang is the headliner in this movie, and Arnold Schwarzenegger had his name changed to Arnold Strong for this credit because they thought it would be funny to have Arnold Stang and Arnold Strong. But Arnold Stang is someone I'm not familiar with at all. But he appears to be some sort of big personality. At least I think he was one of those guys who is a. You know, a long-standing... Don Knotts impersonator? <laughs> yeah, like a long-standing character actor that, um, you know, maybe our parents or grandparents would sure. have, you know, seen him and recognized him the same way we recognize uh, James Karen, who's also in this movie. Right. Uh, you know, but not really be able to put a name to him. I don't know. Arnold Stang probably guest starred on The Love Boat at some point, right? He probably guest starred on a lot of stuff. He probably did a lot of voice acting. Uh, I haven't gone to the trouble of looking him up no. on IMDb. But... Hollywood Squares. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> certainly possible. <laughs> um, so this is really kind of a star vehicle for him. He plays Pretzi, who's a yeah. pretzel vendor. Yeah, <laughs> what a great character. <laughs> that meets Arnold Schwarzenegger at the docks after Arnold is uh, like leaves a ship that he's sailed in on. And um, Pretzi is sort of this pathetic figure, kind of a mix of Don Knotts and Burgess Meredith. I guess so. He's a yeah, he's an alcoholic pretzel salesman. <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who, if you were a pretzel salesman, would you be an alcoholic? <laughs> I might, especially if I was just hanging there. Because apparently, there's no ships at this dock. Yeah. Until Arnold's ship comes in. And yeah. then everybody who gets off the ship gets in a fight. So I don't imagine he's selling a lot of pretzels. Yeah, why did he set up shop on that dock? Uh, he was clearly clearly had some career limiting issues. <laughs> like nearby, like Central Park. Why doesn't he set up his pretzel stand in Central Park? Probably licensing. Oh that's, yeah, classic uh, licensing. Uh, that's my guess. Story yeah. story of Pretzi's life. Yeah. Anyways, Arnold, uh, or I should say Hercules, yeah. comes off the ship. It's not clear why these sailors are upset that he's leaving the ship. That's never really made that apparent. Like most things in this movie. Yeah, apparently, uh, you know, it's alluded that he may have joined the Navy or something, but I'm not quite clear. Yeah. Um, and then people try and stop him, and he gets in a fight with them, and Pretzi says, we got to get out of here. It's not clear why they have to get out of here, because Arnold... Sorry, Hercules had also just beaten up everybody else on the deck of the ship. Yes, by holding up a giant board and then pushing them around. Well, the board was on the dock. Yeah. Uh, he just beat them with his fists on the <laughs> deck. This is one of my favorite tropes of old movies where like a big comeuppance was throwing someone in water. Mm -hmm. You don't see that in movies anymore, but back in the day... If you wanted to give a bad guy some comeuppance, you threw him in the water. <laughs> yeah, it was an excellent way to save money on stuntmen. Yeah. <laughs> so, Pretzi runs off with this guy, and I'm curious, like, 
this character of Pretzi, I feel like you're supposed to have some sort of feelings towards him, like be a little sympathetic towards him, because he is this lost soul, and Hercules gives him hope in his life. Did Arnold Stang um, ever work for you as a character on screen or as a personality? No, I mean, not a lot in this movie worked for me <laughs> on screen. Not a lot of this movie had personality. Uh, if it had been up to me, I would have been just as happy if Pretzi's story had been he just stayed a pretzel salesman. <laughs> I was really annoyed at a certain point. Like, apparently Arnold Stang, one of his claims to fame is his ability to go bug-eyed and just stare at things. With his mouth open. With his mouth open, like slack-jawed. And he goes to that well. Yeah, he goes to it Oh my god. probably at least as often as Arnold takes his shirt off. <laughs> Usually immediately following. Arnold takes his shirt off and Pretzi goes bug-eyed. Yeah, and this happens over and over. And I don't think it was funny the first time, but boy was it not funny the 50th. Yeah, the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger has his name as Arnold Strong in this film because, uh, like you say, they thought it might be funny to have Arnold Strong with Arnold Stang gives a good indication of the level of humor in this film. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, they thought this would really appeal to audiences. I can't get any box office numbers on this movie. <laughs> as far as I can tell, this movie was not even recorded. It grossed so little money. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find anything on it either. It, I mean... That might be a function of the movie being a 1969 right. film. I'm pretty sure if Arnold Schwarzenegger was not in this film, uh, it may no, have never been seen. Yeah. Nobody would ever have heard of it. It would probably yeah. not even grace the the bowels of YouTube. And I mean, this movie was released in 1970. Uh, it took a year for it to come out. Um, they got a premiere in New York in 1969, but the movie didn't come out till 1970. And, uh, you know, just looking at the top five of that year, it, it's so, like, this is so of its era. But you have movies like Love Story was the number one grossing movie of the year with Barbra Streisand. Uh, you have Airport coming in second, the first big disaster movie to really launch off that trend. Uh, you had MASH, the Robert Altman film. Uh, Patton, the George C. Scott Oscar-winning Best Actor film, uh, written by Francis Ford Coppola. Very, very good movie. Uh, and then you had The Aristocats, the Disney film. And, uh, I mean, I guess there's not a lot to take from that. It just kind of gives you a sense of what was popular in the 70s. I mean, I guess the Aristocats is sort of like uh, Hercules in New York. It's a fish-out-of-water story. Sort of, I guess. It's, I guess. It's been a long time since I've revisited the Aristocats. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cat's meow. <laughs> but, I mean... <laughs> God. But, I mean, obviously this movie... I mean, its budget was 300000 which is actually more than I expected. Yeah, me too. I mean, that that is the only stat I was able to find. Yeah. And I dug deep, let me tell you. Uh, but, but this movie can't have been released on many theaters. Uh, you know, I was wondering the whole time, mm. what on earth did they spend $300,000 on making this movie? Well, let's break that down. What would have cost money? The Chariot, maybe? Maybe, yeah, well, they probably had to close down the New York streets to do that because there is a scene where Arnold chases um, some mobsters in a chariot. And, I mean, I guess you'd have to close down the streets for that. Uh, Arnold's not getting paid much. Arnold Stang is getting paid the most, I'm guessing, out of the cast, but he's, being the headliner, but I don't think he's getting that much. I don't imagine he's getting a lot. Do you think it was a, just one of those deals where the producers were taking money out the back door? Maybe. I mean, who knows? It's It's really hard to 
put your put your finger on what they could because like like we said earlier the sets it's one of the things actually i thought was interesting where you know we record this podcast out of a home studio so we're constantly worried about you know dogs barking and traffic going by and that kind of thing right but i don't think we need to if uh if the cast and crew of hercules in new york weren't worried about that then why should we and they had three hundred thousand dollars to blow yeah and i mean they blew it <laughs> yeah they sure did they blew it bad but i will say um this movie was directed by arthur allen seidelman who i've never seen do anything really he was mostly a kind of a journeyman guy he did a lot of tv specials and you know sitcom episodes and things like that but i mean i will say going into this movie my expectations were below very very low I will say this movie looked better than I thought it would. I honestly thought it was going to be grimy looking and cruddy. This movie looked like a movie to me. Like it did look like something shot on film, presented in a way that I could make out figures on screen. And other than Arnold, here that is the... that is one glowing review, <laughs> and if I, can... I have ever heard one. And I can hear the dialogue. I expected the dialogue to be really muffled and tinny. Like, what movie were you watching? <laughs> are you serious? You're right. There are characters that appear on film, but I mean, the very first thing we remarked on when we were watching this film was was uh, how the film quality varies from scene to scene. Oh, it's not good, and... but it looks. Better than I expected. And you say the sound is tinny. There was constantly the noise of machinery and cars, <laughs> and people would turn. People would turn. Uh, they'd be looking at the camera, and they turn to the side, yeah. and the pitch of their voice would diminish based on where they were standing right. on the set. It was uh, poorly directed. It was poorly <laughs> acted. It was poorly edited. This movie is a piece of garbage. I think the thing is, I've watched a lot of movies at home video, like old B-movies on those compilation sets. Movies like Beast of Yucca Flats and things like that, where the quality is so poor that you have to like lean forward to make out what people are saying. Like movies like Attack of the Giant Leeches, things like that. So I was expecting something where the quality that I'm watching is so terrible that I can barely hear it. Whereas this was actually... I could watch it. I could sit back and watch it, and I didn't have to strain to hear things, or it was somewhat clear on the screen. <laughs> I wonder if that's the quote that they had on the movie poster when they're trying to sell us. Somewhat clear on screen. I'm not going to call it technically competent, because it's mostly functionally incompetent, but... <laughs> so... so... You know, this is probably a good segue, and you may want to just revisit your comments in a moment. Even sure. the, even the part about it even being remotely clear. Okay. Um, the bear fight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, there's a scene in the film where Arnold is out with the female lead, uh, um, Helen Camden, played by Deborah Loomis. Whatever her name is, and yeah. whoever she's played by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, and they, they set it up quite poorly, as they do with everything else in this film, where uh, uh, they have a, a lengthy shot of a zookeeper shining lights on animals. Right. Um, none of which escape, but eventually he comes across a broken lock. Yeah. And a grizzly bear has escaped and is running around Central Park. A 600-pound grizzly bear, to yeah. be exact. It's not really clear why the zookeeper had a flashlight, given that when the grizzly bear escaped, it was daytime. Right. But so goes this film. 
And anyways, Cam, can, can you tell us about this bear? Uh, I mean, how would there be train a bear to uh, get in a fight with uh, an actor? Okay, do you remember the movie Octopussy, where James Bond climbs into the ape suit, and it's really hokey looking? Yes. This bear looked worse than that ape. <laughs> this is probably... The, like it's probably one of the worst on-screen animals in film history. Yeah, it, it looks like it's not even the same size as a bear. It looks like they took um they took like Warwick Davis and put him in platform shoes and a bad Halloween costume. Right, it's horrible. Yes, it is. I mean, really I, get, I, I mean, we were laughing pretty hard about it, but I don't think that was the intention. You can see the gap between the the head on the bear costume. Yeah. And the costume, you can see the guy's neck sticking through. It's unreal. <laughs> and we see Arnold tussle with this bear and subdue it in a fight that I'm sure is worth looking up the YouTube clip if you haven't seen the movie. The scene actually reminded me a lot of um, the famous Simpsons episode where they're looking into uh, Jebediah Springfield stuff. And there's the flashback <laughs> to him wrestling the bear. And it's really corny and it's obviously a guy in a suit. I'm pretty sure they may have modeled it on this movie because it is eerily accurate. Yeah. So, first of all, I guess, do you want to revisit your claim about this being a competently made film? No, no. I didn't say it was competent. I said it was incompetent. <laughs> but it's projected in a way that I can make out what I'm seeing on screen. So, because I wasn't clear that it was a bear. Oh, okay. It, it, I knew. I mean, I knew because they had told us, but right. it wasn't clear to me <laughs> what the bear actually was. I could make out um, that it was a bear. Well, it was either that or a large poodle. <laughs> either your eyesight or your imagination is better than mine. <laughs> so, let's get into some of the other characters, because the scenario is... Is that what we're calling them? <laughs> yeah. Pretzi brings Hercules to a sports field where... Hercules proceeds to show up the... Are they university or high school? I think they were college. College? Co college okay. They're college athletes who are also apparently good at studying. Sure. Yeah, they really made a point of kind emphasizing that. Kind of a weird non-sequitur <laughs> professor. Yeah, Professor Camden, character played by James Karen, who was in the uh, Return of the Living Dead movies. He is watching these athletes with well, his daughter. And well, just... well, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he's he's, he's the kind of guy, I mean, as soon as he was on screen, we both recognized him, yeah. but we just couldn't place him. Yeah. But there's a scene where he is watching these athletes with his daughter, um, again, Deborah Loomis, and he just references to her that these athletes are really smart. They're, like, really academically accomplished. And you're like, okay, I'm sure this will pay off in some way. Nope. <laughs> and there was a lot of that in this film. There was a lot of... Um, scenes where you felt like either something was mercifully cut yeah or incompetently written yes um and the writer was uh aubrey wisberg uh, let's just get that out there uh so anyways arnold shows up at this sports field and proceeds to show them up in discus and javelin throwing and uh long jump and all of these sports scenarios i get it like hercules strength is amazing i think you need to execute that on screen in a way where we're like wow I wasn't really that wild by Arnold's sports prowess because it wasn't directed well enough to really exhibit how strong he was at it. It seemed like he was just throwing it a little bit farther yeah. than everyone else. And I like, did, yeah, he's better than these guys, but not by much. I did have to wonder, though. I mean, apparently if he can throw this discus out of the field or near the edge of the field, and then he throws a javelin near the edge of the field, how, how many times can you have the same scene of the coach or the athlete's saying i don't think you're very strong and him yeah. saying some version of i am hugging right uh which is actually 
probably more clear than what he sounds like in the film. Right. And so can you connect the dots for me here? He's brought in for a meeting. <laughs> probably not. With Professor Camden. Okay? Cam yes. Professor Camden wants to meet him to talk about sports. Yes. Where does that go? Nowhere. He, start, he starts dating his daughter, I think, but it's not clear because his daughter is still dating a guy named Rod Nelson, who apparently, and, and the only reason I know his name is Rod Nelson is because they say his full name several times in the film, as if yeah. he's going to be important. Right. And where does that go? Nowhere. But there's a scene later in the film where, you know, Arnold is now allegedly maybe dating Camden's daughter, and then just cuts to her hanging out late at night in her house with the professor playing chess with rod nelson and it's like and rod nelson is just like so what's going on with that uh, hercules and he just has a lot of questions but it's like they're having the most mild-mannered boring discussion about hercules late at night playing chess <laughs> just to ensure for people who think this is going to be an arnold schwarzenegger action film yeah. just to ensure that this is going to be the most slow-paced <laughs> boring film you've ever seen but i mean professor camden remains a character throughout this film rod nelson unfortunately does not i would have actually enjoyed it more if rod nelson just kept popping up and referred to as rod nelson each time but i mean what is professor camden in this movie for he is there to introduce hercules to yeah. his daughter who may or may not be a love interest maybe yeah we're not sure and then I... Was he involved in the wrestling at all? It's not at all... I don't think so. It's not at all clear why this guy is around. Like, I mean, it seems like it's Pretzi overseeing Hercules' wrestling career. I got... You know what? I got a really great amount of pleasure, actually, when he introduces himself to Pretzi and he says, Hi, I'm Professor Camden, and this is my daughter, Helen, and here's our card. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to see what that card says, like, Professor and Daughter sports agents or something but like that did you get the sense the daughter was a student at the college i didn't think so but why was she there with her dad like did she work with her dad at this like who knows if man. her dad's a professor what is he doing there uh, yeah who knows i mean there's obviously a coach on the field yeah he's not coaching this javelin thrower or this discus thrower or maybe he was watching his daughter's love interest rod nelson uh, maybe maybe but, like, why was he so invested in bringing Hercules into his house to talk to him? Who knows? Who knows? Professor Camden is a fascinating man. Yeah, he's a very layered character <laughs> with a lot of unanswered... You know, sometimes it's good to leave the audience in the dark. I think that makes the movie much more compelling, don't you think? I mean, I was definitely intrigued by Camden every time he showed up on screen. <laughs> because I could not figure him out for the life of me. Um, you know, Helen Camden... Not a particularly interesting character, but what did you think of uh, Deborah Loomis's performance as this uh, potential love interest? Question mark. Uh, to, to be honest, I got nothing against Deborah Loomis. I've never heard of her before. Yeah. But this movie was so choppily edited together <laughs> yeah. and or poorly written. It was tough to tell what amounted to performance and what exactly her role was in the film either. Yeah. You know, why was she there except to be uh, somebody who ostensibly needed rescuing at the end of the film? And yet, when Hercules goes back to Olympus at the end of the film, he doesn't give her any sort of goodbye. No. Which would lead me to believe she's not a love interest. You're probably right. He, the only person he gives a goodbye to is Pretzi. Yeah. Over the radio. Yeah. Which was interesting, actually, because... Interesting or indecipherable? <laughs> <laughs> no, this part was actually interesting because, like I said, we watched the 
undubbed version. Right. But the voice over the radio was very clearly not Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was it was the voice of, from the dubbed version. Yeah. So, which I find absolutely bizarre, because <laughs> it, in my mind, the fundamentals of movie making <laughs> is if you're going to dub a movie, probably the easiest part to dub is the part where people's maybe that's it maybe the easiest part to dub is where people's lips aren't moving yeah and so they decided to dub the radio and just stop there yeah but that doesn't make any sense no i don't get it either the radio was fascinating not only that because i could not make out a single word that was said it was just like (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it is that weird to listen to where and did you notice too? We're jumping way to the end, but Pretzi, we're jumping all over the place. <laughs> it's true, just like this movie does. This, <laughs> this, this this podcast is edited like the, like the movie was. Yeah, but, so yeah. you're saying what about Pretzi? Let's let's hear well, let's we... hear a couple words of wisdom about Pretzi, the pretzel salesman. <laughs> so we get to the end of the film, and Pretzi is very depressed that Hercules has taken off. He's sitting in his pathetic apartment. Contemplating why he's, he's even still alive. He's, he's probably so depressed. depressed about a lot of things. Yeah, he's just realizes he's kind of a loser. And then Hercules shows up on the radio in a voice, yeah, that's not recognizable. But not only that, Pretzi is talking to the radio, and it's like he's like, you know, Hercules, where'd you go? And then there's like 30 seconds goes by, <laughs> and you hear, <laughs> which and it's just like these long, long pauses. <laughs> In between when Pretzi says something and the radio blurts something out. Which leads me to believe that that voice was originally Arnold Schwarzenegger saying, Pretzi is my friends and I's Olympus is the bit. Hercules is here. <laughs> and then they ultimately uh, dubbed it over with somebody right. uh, who talks like that. Before I forget, my favorite Arnie line in the movie was, I will come sometimes, but not now. <coughs> It's like, okay, that's who wrote that? Um, you know, my favorite, besides the 1,500 times he said some, he said, I am Hercules. Yeah. Uh, I, I really liked it when he was talking about Zeus's Zandaboots. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the antagonists to this movie, because let's start with the mobsters. Um, somehow the mob gets embroiled in uh, Hercules' wrestling career. Again, this is a wrestling career that happens entirely off screen. There's one really, really, really brief montage. Like, it's like five seconds or something. But um, the mob gets involved in this. What did you think of the mob presence in this movie? And this was an old standby of bad comedies was to throw the mob in. You know what? I mean, I mean these these three guys, the main mobsters, they were, yeah. they were absolutely spectacular. It was amazing that they didn't get the Academy Award. It was like watching... <laughs> Uh, you know, frankly, something that put Goodfellas to shame, sure. put The Godfather to shame. Uh, you know, I, I really can't say enough about them. Um, I'm kidding, of course. Right. Like everything else in this movie, they were horrible. Yeah. Like they were their three crap to tears. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I did not find them at all funny. Like I could laugh. Were they supposed to be funny? I think so. A like, little bit, maybe. Did, like, did they have any jokes? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. I couldn't tell. Yeah, they weren't funny at all. We see scenes of them like threatening Pretzi. I wish they'd shown how the how they got involved in this wrestling career because it just cuts to them in Pretzi's apartment, and you're like, okay, I guess the mob just showed up. 
And then Pretzi, to his credit, did not want to sell Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Didn't want to sell Hercules to the mob. So how is this mob story resolved? Uh, the mob, well, Arnold, or Hercules loses uh, a wrestling slash weightlifting competition. More weightlifting than wrestling. After his divinity is stolen from him. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that, thankfully. <laughs> and uh, and so he loses, and of course, uh, Pluto had placed a bet on Hercules to lose at 5-1. to one, And so right. the mob uh, probably lost a lot of money. Sure. So they take off. For some reason, they start pursuing the professor and his daughter. Yeah. It's, not, it's not really clear again why they're there. Why is Camden there? Yeah, it's exactly. And then uh, the person who they actually want to pursue, which is Hercules and Pretzi, starts pursuing them. Right. Like in a carriage. In a carriage. Oh, yeah. And eventually they get in a fight in, uh, you know, a hastily rented uh, <laughs> LA warehouse. brick building yeah. with paper on the floor. Yeah. And, yeah, they get beat up, and that's the end of them. Yeah, they're pretty boring. But, you know, I, I would like to see the aftermath that these guys would, uh, would you know, of, of what these guys would do to Pretzi and the professor and right. his daughter with, with Hercules not around. Yeah, once Hercules goes back to Olympus, I mean, game on for these mobsters. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned Pluto. Um there is a whole other side plot going on with the gods finagling as to what to do with Hercules down on Earth. Because uh, Zeus never wanted Hercules to go. They had a real issue with that. Hercules says he just wanted to browse around, which seems like very um, casual language for a Greek god, but whatever. Um, it was one of the only two words I understood. <laughs> that's true. But you had, <laughs> you had all these goddesses pleading with Zeus to, you know, take it easy on Hercules. And at a certain point, he wants to involve Nemesis, who is going to, what, imprison uh, Hercules in uh, in Pluto's underworld for a hundred years yeah, and as by punishment. The, and by the way, apparently uh, hell to the ancient Greeks is a red light, a gate, and a guy in a neckerchief. With some smoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, Nemesis doesn't do what um, Zeus wants. She ends up getting manipulated by Juno, who is Hercules's stepmother, uh, unhappily so. And uh, Juno wants her to what? I think to steal Hercules's divinity and strength. Yeah. So that he is but a mortal amongst mortals. Sure. And they do that by pouring powder in a drink in a bar. Which Hercules drinks. And um, was the plan just to leave him as immortal or to kill him? I thought it was to make him immortal. Because they, they did say, I mean, Pluto did say, I can't kill anyone. I can only yeah. torment people or whatever. Uh, but I think it was just to have him be immortal and through his own obstinacy and... <laughs> Tony's giving the ultimate blank stare for those at home who are <laughs> yeah. just listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they use the word obstinacy and obstinate and some yeah. variation of obstinate about, uh, again, another 12 times in this film. So that by by his obstinacy, he would punish himself. Sure. Now, the, all the nemesis stuff bored me to tears, um, as well as the stuff with Juno getting her to enact this plan on him. More or less than the rest of the movie? Maybe more. I found stuff like that in The Mobsters really dire to sit through. Mm -hmm. But it does take us on this diversion that you mentioned earlier to Pluto's underworld, the gate, in front of the black uh, <laughs> curtain. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this introduces this character of Pluto, played by Michael Lipton, who is this man all in black with a red scarf around his neck. 
And I feel like Pluto is supposed to be like the charisma bomb of the movie. Like, I feel like they are introducing him because he is bringing a huge amount of personality into this movie. Um, did you feel he did that, Tony? You know, I felt uh, he had about as much charisma as a middling busker. <laughs> <laughs> like, this character was really uninteresting to me. Yeah, he had a cane. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of had that putting on that Ritz attitude. Um, like, there's a scene where he comes and just hangs out in Arnold's hotel room with him. And I wanted more of that seductive sort of quality you get in performers playing Satan in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like Gabriel Byrne in End of Days or Peter yeah. Stormare and Constantine. Like, I wanted Al- more Al Pacino. of that. Al Pacino in Devil's Advocate, yeah. I wanted more of that kind of silky, manipulative sort of attitude. And he just has none. Well, you could tell he was trying to be charming. He looked like an insurance salesman. <laughs> Yeah, he did. I, I thought he looked like a mime out of makeup. Oh, that's a good call. Good call. I mean, I think he came across better on screen than the actor who played Mercury, Dan Hamilton, who was a real blank, and just kind of talked like this in every scene. But I mean, Pluto is a character I think should be interesting. To me, whenever you're introducing the leader of the underworld, that is a chance for a huge personality. And this character is actually really important to the movie and then completely forgotten. Yeah, he doesn't hang around too much. Like, what was the end game for that character? He went back to back to Pluto's underworld. But he bet all this money on Hercules to lose, right? That's correct. But he just did that. He doesn't care about the money. He just sure. he just wanted the monsters to get angry at Hercules. Right. At Juno's behest. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. This I, this is a movie with a lot of okay shores in it. But I'm even flashing back. Didn't the mob want Hercules to take a fall? Like they were gonna bet on that? I don't remember. <laughs> it's, it's all very. Confusing. I'm about uh, an hour out of that scene, and I I just don't remember if the mob wanted Hercules to take a fall. I don't think so, though. Yeah. I think they were betting on Hercules to be the strongest. Okay, that's very unlike the mob. Usually, they want someone to take a dive. Yeah, usually it's not the mob who's <laughs> like they're trying to manipulate the odds, not uh, yeah, just not, hope that this, everything turns out like, okay. Hey, you guys! I think this guy's the strongest. <laughs> For real. <laughs> and not only that, once uh, Hercules loses his immortality and is supposedly as strong as a mere mortal, he still is like stronger than any other man alive. <laughs> well, ever, anyone except Monstro, apparently. Yeah, his yeah. competitor in the final match there. Yeah, like Hercules can, you know, as a normal man, can only lift maybe 750 pounds, whereas Monstro can lift 1,000. Yeah, so he's still pretty still pretty strong. Yeah. So, speaking of the mobsters, I mean, where the mobsters ended up, they ended up at that, um, some kind of a processing plant with paper all over the floor. Right. You know, uh, a hastily thrown together uh, set, if I've ever seen one. Sure. And Zeus has a change of heart. Yes. And he decides to send down... Atlas and Samson. Uh, So, Atlas, I can get behind. Sure. Because he's, I think, at least related to greek mythology he's probably busy holding up the world in there in fact they had a scene earlier in hercules where they talk about that yeah they, there's actual like setting up of atlas in this movie yeah uh and samson though as far as i'm aware is a <laughs> biblical character and has nothing at all to do with greek or roman mythology or <laughs> or uh anything to do with mount olympus at all and the thing is samson is known for one well, maybe two things. One, his strength, and two, his long hair, which, of course, Delilah has him cut his hair 
and thus he loses his strength. Now, the Samson that shows up in this movie has short hair. <laughs> As you are wont to do in this film? Yeah. Okay, sure. And look, I'm not an expert on uh, Christian stories, but I have seen the 1950s movie Samson and Delilah with Victor Mature, and I know that he had long hair in that movie. Yeah. Um, and that movie is better than Hercules in New York. I mean, whatever the case, I think the most important thing is that Zeus probably does not have dominion over Samson <laughs> in any kind of any kind of mythology or history or mystery. Yeah. So I wanted to just talk to you briefly about Hercules movies because I've seen so many series and old movies, but I feel like I am completely new to these older Hercules movies, which were cranked out like crazy, um, usually by Italian productions for no money. And there were a ton of actors that played Hercules. Have you seen any of these other movies, like with Steve Reeves or any of these other actors? I may have seen one or two of them, but I, to be honest, if you, if you ask me a question about them, I, I probably wouldn't be able to say anything. I do recall the animated series with... Uh... Yes. You know, Hercules, courage is always near him. That one? Yes. I totally watched that cartoon growing up. I loved that cartoon growing up. And it had the little centaur Newton that was his friend and always repeated everything twice. Hey, Herc! Yeah. Yeah. What are we going to do, Herc? What are we going to do, Herc? Yeah. Yeah, That show was better than this movie. Definitely. Probably the Hercules that I'm most familiar with was the Kevin Sorbo. Sure. uh, The uh, action pack films, uh, TV films from the, the 1990s. Yep. You know, this is a time of myth and legend when the ancient gods were petty and cruel. Not myth and history. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually and uh I think Anthony Quinn was in when those in those some of those early episodes as well. Right, okay. I, I'd be surprised if he wasn't involved in a Hercules production at some point. <laughs> well, he was Zorba the Greek, so we might as well make him the ancient yeah, Greek. We'll have to look that up. But no, in general, these old, uh, older Hercules films, uh, they're not really in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I've never watched any, um, but, you know, Arnold was encouraged to make this movie by the actor Reg Park, who played Hercules in three movies, Hercules Conquers Atlantis, Hercules in the Haunted World, and Hercules the Avenger. And then later, Lou Ferrigno played Hercules twice in the 80s in the movies Hercules and the Adventures of Hercules. So, like, this is a real mantle that seems to be passed on for these muscular guys is playing hercules back in the day i might have seen the first ray park one actually but again I, ray park or reg park reg, yeah sorry ray, i think ray, ray i'm thinking of ray parker jr who did the soundtrack to ghostbusters i thought you were talking about ray park who was darth maul in the star wars episode one <laughs> that, movie. that one too but i found a list at hollywood.com where they did a ranking of the hercules movies from best to worst and uh, I'll tell you the best was Kevin Sorbo at number one. And he was trailed by Mark Forrest, who played Hercules in some movies in the 60s. And then Steve Reeves. Uh, Lou Ferrigno was number 10. Um, at number 13 was Adam West, who played Hercules in an episode of Shazam. At number 14, right behind Adam West, was Arnold Schwarzenegger for this movie. And then at number 16, the worst, it was Kellen Lutz in the movie The Legend of Hercules, which I saw... Which was horrible. In fact, I'm going to say it's worse than this movie. Well, what I'd really like to know is whether or not Arnold Schwarzenegger beat out the animated Hercules. He did not. That was number seven. Tate Donovan played that character. And I actually think that might be the best Hercules movie I've seen. I don't think it's one of Disney's great movies, but I think it's a fun movie. And I can't say that about a lot of the others. Because the other, only <laughs> other one I've seen is the uh, the one from The Rock from a few years ago, uh, just called Hercules. 
which was really dull. And it was about stripping away the legend of Hercules and just making him like a normal guy. Well, we'll have to explore all these films on Herkageddon. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, have to wonder, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, Hercules was this big name that you had to have these ongoing films. We live in an era now where known properties are all the rage. We had these two Hercules movies come out in like, what, 2014 and 15 or something like that. Do you see Hercules as a viable franchise option anymore? Sure, why not? I mean, all you got to do is have it produced and directed and written. I mean, you know, the story is easy enough and recognizable enough. And I mean, it's been done that many times, I think, for a reason. Yeah. And even even this movie, you know, if this was a little bit later in Arnold Schwarzenegger's career and had... Yeah. Uh, a little bit more of a competent supporting cast and crew. <laughs> and director and writer. And everyone around around him, uh, you know, and voice coach. Yeah. This movie could have been okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Hercules, what they need to do is uh, Marvel needs to launch a spinoff film for their version of the Hercules. I think that could really bring him back and make him a box office name once again. You know, going... <laughs> maybe not. Well, you know, yeah. Chris, Chris Hemsworth's going to retire as Thor at some point, so you might as well bring in Hercules after that. You're right. Well, you know, I mean, going back to uh, our last episode, Twins, I mean, was Twins really that different than what a Hercules movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger could have been? Well, I mean, it is... In both scenarios, they are fish-out-of-water stories about Arnold coming to you know the big city and being confused by everything that's going on so so, so would, know, it, would it be similar. that would it be that hard to just reimagine twins as a hercules movie you know you're kind of selling me on this i think arnold should have made a hercules remake in the 80s or 90s when he was like at his prime i think you could have actually gotten a really good comedy out of this you'd yeah. have to scrap everything but please keep professor camden just for me because he's so freaking <laughs> amusing but other than that, like I would, you know, scrap everything and just start over. But I think you could make a fun movie about a Greek god coming to New York. Well, I mean, we look at, uh, I mean, you look at his work on the Conan films, and yeah, uh, to a lesser extent, Red Sonia as yeah. well. And so you know, he can do the medieval side of uh, of movies as well. Yeah, and I think Arnold does have good comic timing. Um, you know, there is one funny moment he has in this movie, which is when uh, Hercules is heading to Earth. And he shows up looking in, in a plane. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't bad. It's like kind of a, almost like a take on that Twilight Zone episode where there's the gremlin on the wing. It's a woman looking out the window and there's Hercules staring back in the window from outside. <laughs> so let's just uh, wrap up Hercules then because... Wrap it up in a white cloth <laughs> and a laurel wreath. <laughs> yeah. Let's hang our wreaths on our throne like Zeus did at the end of this film. We've reviewed some wacky movies on this podcast, like the uh, the villain. And, um, you know, Hercules Goes Bananas slash Hercules in New York is definitely in that world. What was your feelings on this movie now? Like, is this an Arnold movie you could ever see yourself rewatching? <laughs> and what is your sort of take on it at this point? Like, is it something Arnold fans should watch? You know what? And that's one thing we haven't really touched on is it's one of those movies. It, it really is so bad. It's pretty funny. Right. Um, so I did laugh a lot in this movie, unlike the villain where I barely laughed at all. But were you laughing at it or with it? Oh, at. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely at. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if the movie was laughing. 
<laughs> it was hard to laugh with it. But absolutely, if someone's a, if someone is an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, I feel like I say this every episode sure. where we review a bad film. Where you say, is it worth watching? Absolutely. If you're a Schwarzenegger fan, um, it's definitely worth watching. Even if you're not and you're just into B-grade movies or movies that are so bad they're funny, it's worth it just for the bear scene. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I think there's a lot of clips in this that would be really fun in a YouTube compilation. If there was a 75-minute cut and you can get hold of it, I would grab that. Uh, 90 minutes, it's a bit punishing. Um, I will very rarely <laughs> say that a 90-minute movie is a punishing length, but I think this one puts that to the test. Yeah, it is true. It did make 90 minutes feel like Dances with Wolves. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's uh, Hercules in New York, a movie that's... Maybe Arnold's worst? I don't know. From where we are right now, is it the worst we've watched? I'd say it's probably... It's close. The villain was pretty bad, but... I'd, I'd say... I was going to say, I think it's it's a toss-up between this one and the villain so far. Yeah, okay. I think I might give the villain the edge as being a little bit better. And that's mostly because you had Kirk Douglas and uh, Anne Margaret, who are really capable actors. But to be fair, it has been a while since we watched the villain. Yeah. And I I've... think if we were to rewatch it, we <laughs> we might just alternate depending on what whatever one we watched mo- most recently. Sure. I am looking forward to Batman and Robin because I have a I have a suspicion that that one may take the cake. Okay, so I guess that wraps up Hercules in New York. Uh, I guess next week we are going to be looking at a movie considered I guess a little bit better, Terminator Two. Oh, I'm. I'm much more looking forward to watching this one. I mean, not that I haven't seen it uh, two dozen times already, but right. but it's one that uh, bears watching over and over and over again. Yeah, I'm excited to do Terminator 2, especially because I'm looking forward to deciding whether Terminator 2 should have been the end of the road, because we will be reviewing the other Terminator movies in the future, and so I'm curious to see, you know, was there anything left to be said after Terminator 2? Well, and you'll have to fill me in because the open secret on this podcast is I still haven't seen Terminator Genesis. And yeah. I, and I'm saving myself for the Genesis marriage. Okay. So you can, of course, find us on Twitter at ArnieGeddonPod. You can email us at ArnieGeddonPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Cam v as in Venus Smith. Uh, you can also find me on the Star Trek podcast, Subspace Transmissions. And Tony, where can you be found? I'm pretty easy to find. You can find me Tony G. Tony as in the name Tony. G as in the letter G. At ArnieGeddon.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast or if you've enjoyed some of our other podcasts, by all means, send us a message, leave a comment, or leave a rating. It does help us out with our rankings on the various ranking services. Definitely. Okay, so we'll be back with Terminator 2, Judgment Day.